moment, we'll be reading from Matthew 1, 1 through 17. And this Advent and Christmas season, we're going to be studying the first two chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. Now, it's often interesting that we study these chapters because Luke is often used for Advent and for Christmas because the Gospel of Luke, uh, often we hear more detail and, and gives a good narrative and description of what's going on up to the birth and the birth itself. But we'll hear a lot of passages from Luke as we come together for the evening services and the special services um, this month. Now, Matthew tends to be rather practical and, and sometimes dry, sometimes short. Um, and we'll see in today's passage as we read a list of names, the genealogy of names. And it's a lot of names. And these 17 verses, as we go through them, uh, they're actually somewhat dry and perhaps monotonous to some. It's not short in this case. It's somewhat of a long list, especially when all the names are read. But genealogies are something that we tend to skip over, and we often don't read lists of names from Scripture. In fact, I've never preached on a list of names either, and I don't even recall ever hearing a message on a genealogy or a list of names. Um, and it may even be the only time that during this Christmas season or this year that you're going to read from this, these verses. Now, first of all, and this passage, as mentioned, basically lists names. And secondly, these names are, are difficult to pronounce. So if you are ever reading these passages, one word of advice um, when you're called upon to read such names, even if you have no idea how to pronounce the names, read the names with confidence and nobody will challenge you on the pronunciation. <laughs> That's what I plan to do. Now, we also read this list because we believe God's word is inspired. It's true. It's used for teaching. So this list of names is in scripture. It's in the Bible for a reason. So Matthew begins his book with this list, with the genealogy. The word genealogy has in its root the word Genesis. And Genesis means origin or beginning. So Matthew begins the gospel. He begins the New Testament with this new beginning. The beginning of the earthly life of Jesus Christ. So let's read from Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abram. Abram was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Isaiah. Isaiah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, 
Eliezer, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Thanks be to God for his word. This man had worked in a factory for several years. And while leaving the plant each day, he walked out pushing this wheelbarrow with a box in it. And each time he would leave, he would have to pass by the security guard, who was somewhat suspicious. And the security guard would do his job and faithfully ask the man what he had in the box. The man would reply, shavings that I swept up. The security guard would then look through the box, only to find that this man was telling the truth. It was a box full of shavings. The guard would find, never find anything else. Over time, the guard became quite friendly with this employee and continued to, to fulfill his duty, and each time he would check the box, only to find shavings. And this went on for several years, until the employee's retirement. And this final night, the employee left the plant with nothing. Although a friendship was created, the guard had this feeling, he had this suspicion that there was something that this employee was stealing. The guard asked him on his last day, Each day that you've walked by me with this box of shavings in your wheelbarrow, you must have been taking something. Please just tell me what you were stealing. I won't report it. I simply want to satisfy my curiosity. And the man calmly replied, I was stealing wheelbarrows. (laughs) Now I checked this story on snoops.com and there's legitimacy to it, but you know, whether it's true or it isn't true, the point is that sometimes we overlook the obvious. We get distracted by things. And we miss out on what is so important. Today we have, we hear this term often, what's called distracted driving laws. And we have them for a reason. When we are so focused on one thing, we'll likely end up missing the obvious. We have that in our spiritual lives as well. Because scripture reminds us over and over again that God is always present. And yet... So often, we get busy, we get distracted, we fail to see the obvious. That God is at work in our lives. That God is present every moment of our life. This Christmas, don't let the busyness take over. It will become busy. Family things, shopping, a lot of services. There's a lot of stuff going on, and that's all good. But don't let the busyness take over, that you miss the obvious. God among us. This Advent season, we follow a series, God among us. And we're going to be reminded of the obvious, that God is present, that He is our God, that we are His people. Emmanuel means God among us. And so today, we talk about God among the riffraff. And I looked up the definition of riffraff, and this is someone who is not respectable and who has a low social status. 
So this guy stealing wheelbarrows probably would be considered riffraff. Now, I don't think it's a politically correct word to use in our society. But having thought about it, I think that we'd all be considered spiritual riffraff if it were not for the grace of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And thankfully, God's grace extends to the spiritual riffraff of society too. Matthew eleven nineteen. later on in the book, Matthew states that Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's a friend of the riffraff. And Matthew not only reports that Jesus is a friend of sinners, but in Matthew 1, he reports that Jesus descends from a long list of sinners. Jesus descends from the spiritually riffraff. And Matthew reports this riffraff through his genealogy. And genealogy in, in family histories, they're often quite interesting. And they're usually quite important. I mean, many of us often want to look up our ancestors, perhaps for health or medical reasons. Maybe there's this uh, certain hereditary illness that we want to be aware of. Other reasons to know our ancestors is to know what happened in the past and determine what kind of influence and impact that might, happen, might be on our life today. Because decisions made in the past will impact those in the future. In addition, family history becomes really important if there's royalty in your line. To the Jews in ancient Israel, family history was important. And there were practical and legal purposes for keeping the family line up to date. Family lines were legally used for disputing land and inheritance claims. It was proof often to determine what your nationality was and if you were entitled to certain perks and benefits based on your nationality. So let's jump back to Matthew 1, verse 1, which is one line that introduces the chapters 1 and 2. And it reads, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abram. This one line is summarizing who the story is about. It's about Jesus. And the name Jesus means Savior, salvation. And this is the beginning, the origin of Jesus on this earth, going back thousands of years. The Savior did not simply appear one day. This beginning has history. Jesus, the Savior, was promised for centuries already. As you can read, it's quite a family tree. In this verse, Matthew refers to Jesus, the Savior, as the Messiah. Meaning, Messiah meaning that he's the anointed one by God. Jesus is the Messiah. He's anointed. He's divine. He is God. And then it, says that it goes on to say that Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he is God, but Jesus is also human. Keep in mind that at this time, there was also about 400 years or so between the prophets and the first coming of Jesus. For centuries, for generations, people were not hearing from God through the prophets. And it was referred to as a silent period. Israel eventually became under the rule of the Roman Empire and the Caesars. And the religion that was prevalent was under the religious groups of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and it was extremely legalistic. 
And this one line in Matthew 1, verse 1, provide hope. It provides hope to the people. The God of Abraham, the God of David, the Messiah, he continues to be among the people. It may have appeared that things were silent and God had left his people, but God does not leave his people. People just have to look around. This line also provides hope because it reminds the people the promises made to them and the fulfillment of these promises. Abraham was promised many descendants and many blessings. And all people will be blessed through him. The prophets prophesied from the line of Judah that a savior would come from the descendant of Jesse, King David. And this genealogy, this list of names, shows that God has stayed connected to his people Israel over these 1900 years, just as he promised. I'm your God. You are my people. And from these people, a savior will be born. The word, the prophecies, the promises has become flesh. Now, although genealogies reflect a legal line, Matthew and Luke as well reports genealogies to show not the legality of the line, but the faithfulness and grace of God. And so we get a list of names, generations of names. Don't worry, we won't go through the names again. But as mentioned, as summarized, there's three lists of 14 generations. And in this family tree, there's some righteous kings, such as David. But we also know about his sinful life. And there's unrighteous kings as well. In fact, the Old Testament scripture identified them as evil. It says that. Jesus came from a line of righteous and unrighteous. He came from a line of evil people. But God still used each one, good or bad. Some considered riffraff, all spiritual riffraff. He used them for his purposes. Now another thing about ancient genealogies is that they will often include the male as carrying on the line and often only record the male. But in this genealogy, the men are mentioned, of course, but Matthew includes five women. And many of these women had tainted pasts. Some of them were not even Jews. They were Gentiles. But Matthew doesn't include them for their sinfulness or to shame them, but rather he includes them for their faith and for God's faithfulness. Some of them were Gentiles, and likely they would have been considered riffraff. And they too would have been spiritual riffraff. And yet God still used them for his purposes. And not only did he use them, but he saved them for his purposes. Now often when names are mentioned, perhaps that happened this morning too, when a name was mentioned in a, in a list, one can't help but by association recall certain stories attached to that name. So when you remember a name, you, you'll often remember a story. And maybe some of those stories were about Jacob, a crook who could never really be trusted. Judah, who fathered twins by his daughter-in-law, Tamar, thinking she was a prostitute. Rahab, a prostitute from Jericho. 
David, an adulterer who hid his affair in the pregnancy by murdering Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Solomon, a wise man, but with an unwise number of wives. Manasseh was evil. And again, this list continues all the way on to Jesus. Jesus himself was born in a small town to a young girl and her husband. Two impoverished people, peasants. And it was rather scandalous as well because this young girl was pregnant not by her fiancé Joseph, let alone they were engaged. They were not yet married. Riffraff, according to society's standards. So what is God teaching us through this list? What is God teaching us through the riffraff of society? He's teaching us what should be obvious. That God is faithful. That even though we are sinful human beings whose sins are all evil, who are all equal before God, somehow, out of grace, God doesn't leave his people. God still loves us. He's still going to use us. He's still going to include us in his plan of salvation. We are the spiritual riffraff, and yet we still have value in Jesus Christ. Now, I think this next illustration I've done here before, and I'm pretty sure I have, but it's worth repeating. So I have this $20 bill. It's an American 20 And Adrian, you can keep your hand down because I know that one illustration, you got the 20, but it's not that illustration. (laughs) Besides, I need this 20 for my Florida trip next month. It's really expensive. It's an American 20. What I'm about to do, I can't do with a Canadian 20. So I'm going to take this $20 bill and we're going to crumple it up. I'm going to step on it. Found it dying too. (laughs) <laughs> going to step on it, you know, get it really good and crumple. Maybe pour some water on it. Just a little bit. Get some more dust on it. And here we go. Here's the $20 bill. But you know what? No matter how messy it looks, the value remains. It's still worth 20 bucks Because it's not defined by how dirty it is or how many crinkles are in it. It's, it's defined by its value and by its worth. It's defined by being $20. Its value is still $20. As, as cheap as this little piece of paper is, it's still $20 because the government has declared this value to be $20. Riffraff. Spiritually, we are all of low status. We are all crinkled. We're all stained by sin. But God still finds value in his people. We are declared by God, our Father, to have value. He doesn't define us by our past and by our sins. He defines us as being his sons and his daughters. He defines us through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is a friend to sinners. Yes, there is brokenness and dysfunction and sinfulness in this lineage. And yet, through it all, God continues to work in the midst of it all. 
There's brokenness and, and dysfunction and sinfulness in our lineage, in, in our lives. And yet God continues to work in the midst of our lives. And he continues to find value and worth in his people today. And he continues to be present among his people today. God can bring redemption to that which seems unredeemable. And maybe there is somebody in your life today that you think, well, they're beyond hope. But nobody is beyond hope. Maybe you think today that you are beyond hope. And you are not beyond hope. Because God can take that which appears so bad and bring it to his glory. And God will use his people for his purposes. He will use the good, the bad, the ugly. He is among his people and in everything we need to look for our God at work. Don't miss the obvious that God is among us. This Advent, this Christmas and beyond, look to see God among the unexpected people because he's there and he's obvious and he is ready to teach us something. Look to see God in your own life because he is there and respond to him in faith in loving him and loving his people. Receive him as your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Next week, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as we prepare for this celebration, go through the week being reminded that you would be spiritual riffraff if it were not for the grace and the love of Jesus. That grace and love that is offered to each of us, to the Jew, to the Gentile, to the rich, to the poor, to the child, to the senior, to people with homes, to people without homes. God does not discriminate. He's a friend of sinners. And he invites sinners to eat at the table with him. And he invites us to receive his grace and his love. He invites us to see the obvious and to share the obvious with others around us. Aren't you just in awe? of how much God loves us and how he remains with us and among us always. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are sinful and we are spiritual riffraff but you've come down to us anyways and you made earth your home and you came to seek and to save the lost. You came for the sinners, for the sick who need a doctor. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for Jesus and how through the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus you can continue to use your people for your purposes. We thank you for the list of names in the Bible. We thank you for calling our name to follow you. May we do so out of response and gratitude for all that you have done for us through your Son. We thank you that we have worth and value on account of what you have done through your Son, Jesus Christ, for his life, for his birth, his life, his, his death, and his resurrection. And help us to live our lives like Jesus, as if Jesus were living our life today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, our friend to sinners. 
Amen.